The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And again, thank you for those who have been reaching out to us and contacting us about the things you like on AI Today. Maybe some things you don't like on AI Today podcast. We do hear for every once in a while from people who say, I wasn't a big fan of that. You know, But either way, it's like, this is the feedback we want from you. We really want to hear people who have really found something that we have talked about useful and valuable. Um, you know, ideas that that you might have for things we should dive deeper into. As, Matt, as, as we mentioned, you know, some of you reached out to us about a particular topic. We actually decided, hey, one of them was a great enough topic. We'd dedicate a whole episode to that, and we did. And then we heard back uh, from you afterwards, which is great. Um, and we've had some interviews. We have some more interviews coming up uh, with folks, especially as we as we really pivot, or I would say focus more on the way in which people run AI projects. And that's actually a nice little segue into this particular podcast, because one of our most popular podcast series, the things we did on AI Today, has been our AI failure series, where we talked you know, more about why these AI projects are having all these major failures. And these aren't small companies running toy projects and realizing that they're not working. No, these are in many cases, major companies from major vendors and major organizations and enterprises that you have heard of who have had to shelve and cancel their AI projects and lay off people and waste a lot of money. And there are all these reasons why they failed. And we're going to add one more reason to that failure series in today's podcast. Exactly. So for our listeners that have taken CPMAI, the Cognitive Project Management for AI, you know that we talk about the uncanny valley, but we realized we hadn't talked about that in our AI Today podcast. So we wanted to spend some time talking about an additional uh, AI failure, which is falling into the uncanny valley. And in particular, sometimes AI systems can just be too creepy. So that's a reason that we see AI projects failing and we wanted to talk about that. But let's get started with the uncanny valley and kind of first defining what it is in case you've never heard of this term or never heard of it maybe applied to uh, artificial intelligence. So the uncanny valley really is this relationship between the degree of an object's resemblance to being human and then human's emotional response to that object. So this really is for, uh, you know, physical things that, uh, you know, like robots, for example, that can just start to look very human-like and you're like, okay, so think about industrial robots. That really has no human likeness. So people are like, okay, that's an industrial robot. I feel fine about that. I don't, you know, feel uncomfortable at all. And then we start moving maybe Wally and we're like, okay, it's a cute little robot. And, you know, it doesn't really speak. It just kind of moves around. And I'm like, all right, I, I feel okay about that. And then we start to move a little bit farther into like, uh, you know, animatrons. And we're like, okay, you're starting to look a little human-like and uh, maybe this is starting to creep me out a little. And then we do things like Sophia bot and we're like, okay, uh, you are trying to look human, but there's something off about you that just makes me feel really uncomfortable. And now we've dipped into the uncanny valley where this is, you know, something I just don't feel comfortable with anymore. And then we come out of the uncanny valley when we have a human again. 
Yeah. And as mentioned, you know, in our previous failure series, which we'll link to in our show notes, we have something like nine or 10 reasons why AI projects commonly fail. And you might not be thinking that the psychological response to a service or a product might be a reason for failure, but it really is uh, in many cases. So this uncanny value we talk about when you think about humanoid robots, if you have a robot that you want people to interact with, let's say it's at a museum or a hotel or a hospital or someplace like that. And, and uh, you want people, the whole purpose of the, the thing that you built is to answer questions or to deliver things or to do something useful. If people do not want to interact with this robot because it looks creepy, it looks like a zombie or it looks like some killer robot, you know, don't make a robot that looks like Terminator 3 with the mask off, you know, then uh, people won't interact with it, which kind of kills the whole value proposition. So you could have spent all this money and all this time and all this effort training these systems. But if people won't do the thing you want them to do with it, then you basically just wasted all that money and time and ends up getting canceled. So, so this uncanny valley is actually a reason falling into this uncanny valley is, is a reason for many cases that we're starting to see uh, project failure. It actually comes from some uh, research that we've been doing recently. So as Kathleen mentioned, we have the CPMAI training and certification. So we have a certification that is out there for folks who are trying to do AI projects, right? Which is a project management methodology. It's a specific approach. CPMAI, the Cognitive Project Management for AI, is a specific approach to running AI projects so that you can have the maximal chance of success. And the methodology starts with understanding what the business needs are and the business understanding, which is a pretty, pretty involved actually getting into the understanding of what data you have since AI projects are data projects. And then this next step around data preparation, then around building models that uh, are meet the needs of the business and, and uh, are that iterative step for that particular need. And then mo- evaluating the model and then model operationalization. And then that whole thing in very short uh, iterative burst. So you can actually get your first AI projects out in a week or two, right? If, especially if you know how to scope it properly, which is what uh, CPMA methodology treats, uh, teaches you. But one of these failure modes that, that you have to consider is that even if you get that all right, even if you can get the right business case, you got the right ROI, you figured out the data, you built the right model, you might find that people are resistant to using the thing that you've built. And 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 there's so it's and it's, we talk here about the humanoid version of the uncanny valley, but there's actually a data version of the uncanny valley as well. So even if it's something doesn't look like or need to look like a human, or even if it's not even a physical thing, people can still decide that they don't want to interact with that thing because it's creepy in terms of data, right? And because AI projects are data projects, creepy data is a problem too. So let's talk about what that creepiness might be, and you may have experienced this yourself. Exactly. So as, you know, organizations, companies, government agencies, everybody is just collecting more data and has more data than ever before. We use that data to help us and to help us better know our customer, gain additional insights, and then, you know, have a competitive edge, all of that stuff. But we can get into the uncanny valley of data. So, you know, first an organization just collects data and they they use that kind of behind the scenes and never let the customer know, all right, that's, you know, kind of like the baseline, like the customer really doesn't, doesn't know how that data is being used to help enhance their experience at all. Then the organization will use it to help make some recommendation, maybe. And they'll say, well, you know, based on your shopping experience, I, I also will recommend this, but maybe they'll say, 
you know, customers have also purchased rather than you may be interested in. So it's like, okay, well, I don't know if they're using my data or not, but thanks for that helpful recommendation. Then it says maybe, you know, taking it one step farther, you may be interested in this. And you're like, oh, okay, that's great. It's starting to get to know me better. Maybe I'm I'm still feeling, uh, you know, semi-comfortable with that. But then it looks at all of my previous purchasing decisions or behavior that, you know, I've done. And, and uh, it goes, you, I think that you would be interested in this. And you're like, I wasn't even searching for that. How did it know that I wanted that? And that will dip you into the uncanny valley. Or maybe I'm using, uh, you know, uh, driving directions and it tells me, oh, why don't you take this way? And it's like, well, I didn't actually really tell it that I was going to that location, but it pulled my calendar information and other data and knew that I was going that way. And so it kind of just recommended it without me actually asking. And you're like, that makes me feel really uncomfortable that it's doing that. And it dips you into the uncanny valley. The uncanny valley for data, it just like the uncanny valley in general, it's uh, the level, like when you'll go into the uncanny valley is different for everybody. So you have to understand that for some people, they may have, you know, a bigger threshold than others. But once you have gone into the uncanny valley, it is really hard to get out of it. A deterioration of trust comes about. People just feel uncomfortable using that technology. And you've really eroded any of the benefits that you would have otherwise gotten from that technology. Right. And we see these are trade-offs. So, you know, there are people who say, well, the more data I have about you, the more convenient I can make something. I can, you know, have products for you right away. That's how, you know, things like Amazon Prime works because they can sort of guess as to what products will be in demand and make sure that they have the inventory at the right location, which is really very helpful. But as you know, the more people know about you, the less privacy you have. So there's that convenience versus privacy trade-off. There's another trade-off, which is that you want systems to be transparent and open. You know, you want to see how things work. You want to know what data is going into to systems, you want all that sort of stuff. But the more that I make things open and transparent, the less secure they are. So you have this sort of internal battle between opening things up and closing things down, right? And so on the one hand, if you're making data useful for convenience, but you're closing down access for security purposes, things start looking like a black box and you don't know why things are happening and they won't tell you why things are happening for security reasons, right? Then the third uh, trade-off, is, as Kathleen mentioned, is like, hey, the more I know about you, the more value I can have. But then people start feeling like there's pervasive surveillance. Do you really want your phone to tell you that it knows what you're about to do because it's got GPS tracker in it, it's got the camera, it's looking at your emails, it's looking at your messages, looking at your social media, looking at all this sort of stuff. Your phone knows an awful lot about you. People say, for example, that they're uncomfortable with uh, Alexa in their home having it on because it's like an open mic. But I'm like, yeah, but you have your phone on all the time. Your phone phone is actually leaking more information about you every millisecond of the day than Alexa would ever have just by having an open mic. And I find it very kind of humorous, you know, uh, actually, honestly, hypocritical in some ways, people saying, I'll unplug Alexa. I'm like, well, are you turning off your phone? <laughs> of course they won't, right? Because they want the convenience, right? They don't want a phone. What's the use of a phone being off? The answer is nothing. There's no use to a phone being off, right? So, but in the early days of phones, people did not have their phones on all the time. Not to mention batteries didn't last that long. But uh, anyway, and the last thing is, of course, people can't trust. The, the real issue is people can't trust who's holding this data. So, so we actually have a really interesting uh, example here of when an AI project specifically failed. Uh, for There were not necessarily one or two reasons, but like one of the main reasons why it failed is because it really fell into that creepy valley, you know, the uncanny valley. People were just uncomfortable with 
what this place was doing. And in addition to all the other problems, it just made it such that it wasn't even worth fixing the other problems. So I'm being very vague here. So let's get into the specifics about the situation. It's actually not even a new example. It's many years old, but uh, we never really talked about it. So I think it's a good time for us to talk about this uh, failure. Yeah. So, you know, we uh, had talked about how robotics is, you know, very well uh, accepted in Japan. So it should come as no surprise that, uh, you know, chain in Japan called the Henna Hotel, which I think translates to weird hotel in English, uh-huh. said, why don't we just create a hotel that's mostly made up of robots to help with a variety of different things that humans would typically do? And so this will help because they have, uh, you know, it would help with costs and it would also help with uh, having to staff up the hotel. So for a variety of different reasons, they said, let's go ahead and get started with this. And it launched in July of 2016. It started out incredibly enthusiastic, uh, you know, that was hoping to solve a real ROI with saving labor costs, having these autonomous robots, so that they had two types of robots. One was a velociraptor that would check people in, and the other one was actually more of that humanoid-looking robot that would help check people in. It was able to speak multiple different languages. So it could check you in in English or in Japanese, Korean. I think it's the, depending on the robot, it spoke different languages. So they said, great, we'll be able to check people in in different languages. We will have robots that will help bring bags to rooms. We'll use facial recognition technology so that you no longer need a key card and you can automatically unlock your room with your face. And then inside the room, there will be a little robot called Churi, and that will help with a variety of different things, turning lights on and off, helping order room service. They also had a concierge robot outside. So they really were hoping that robots would be able to help save you know, time and create a unique experience for the person that is going into the hotel. Yeah. And I told it was kind of interesting from two perspectives, right? There's one, this gimmicky aspect to it, which is like the all robot hotel. And, you know, Kathleen and I, we go for gimmicks all the time. As mentioned, uh, I think we may have mentioned in a past episode, we were in Vegas and we went to this bar called the Tipsy Robot. And it was basically an industrial robot. It literally was just like this arm, right? But it could mix the drinks. So it's, you know, was it better than a human? It was a show. It was a show. We were there for the show. It mixed the, the drinks decently. It was kind of fun. It was fun to experience, right? Was it really that much better? I don't know. But uh, but yeah, okay, it was interesting. And if there probably had more people there working to fix the robot than they would have had bartenders, but that's a whole other situation. So um, but so, so but they also had a real ROI. It wasn't it wasn't just the gimmick angle. This hotel was like, well, hey, we could actually be the most efficient hotel in the world. There was that's that was their angle by basically not really having people there, which was their highest cost, right? And um, so they had like a real ROI. So it wasn't the situation we talked about in an earlier podcast where it was an unclear ROI that like the shelf scanning inventory robot uh, that Walmart had that they had to cancel. They didn't do it because there was they already had people out there doing inventory and this marginal uh, value was not very good. So long story short, launched in July of 2016. And they basically pulled the plug on this particular experiment with the robots by January of 2019. So it didn't even last maybe three full years, like two and a half or something years, right? Um, now, part of, of, the, of the reason for the failure, part of it was the technical difficulties. Hey, LAI systems are hard. We said autonomous systems are the hardest of all hard patterns to do. Conversational systems usually are, are pretty good. 
but even the conversational assistant was having problems, right? So this churi kept uh, acting up, you know, and m- multiple times a day would wake people up, would confuse snoring for like a command, you know, it would, it would uh, uh, think it was a request for help or, you know, there, it would in- in- interrupt your conversation. So whatever voice assistant they had clearly was some not very good technology. It's a whole other situation. They had a, this, this concierge robot and a dinosaur check-in bot, but they, they couldn't really answer basic questions a lot of times. It sounds like they had some real NLP conversational problems at this particular situ- uh, room, uh, hotel. And then they had these bellhop robots that were supposed to give you access to facial recognition, but they ha- were having trouble accessing most guest rooms and some crazy dancers. So there were technical issues. Issues, right. But, you know, uh, if there was purely technical problems, then they could have swapped the virtual assistant with the Alexa or with Siri or Cortana or whatever, you know, pick, pick a tech voice technology, Google, and just, you know, replace that. They could have replaced uh, some of these other systems, right, if it was a technical issue. But if you read these articles about the Henna Hotel, that's not the real reason why they ended up canceling the project. As a matter of fact, they just decided that people would be better. Uh, at doing all these sorts of things. And it di- what didn't pay to uh, improve the bots, even it, even though the main ROI, he said was, I'm going to make this the most efficient hotel in the world. He's like, nope, we're going to go back to people. So we learned some lessons that this AI project really failed because they sort of crossed that line, right? They, they, got, they went into, they went past the point of self-service check-in kiosks to really invasive chatty robots that don't work very well and uh, did not make the experience better, right? Exactly. And so, you know, if I'm using a voice assistant, I want it to enhance my overall experience and make it easier on me as the hotel guest. So if the virtual assistant in my room makes it difficult to turn the lights on and off or just difficult to converse with. It's not really understanding me. It's glitchy. It's doing things that make me uncomfortable, right? Like I'm snoring and it wakes up in the, you know, it wakes up in the middle of the night thinking that it's a command and it starts talking to me. It wakes me up. That makes me not sleep great, gives me an unpleasant experience. And I start to feel uncomfortable with this robot in my room. And I'd rather not have it there because at normal hotels that don't have robots in my room, I sleep through the night just fine. And I don't get woken up for things that are going on. So you have to make sure that when you are using AI technology or you'd like it adopted, you know, what are going to be the unintended consequences or the unintended use cases for what's going on and how is it going to make people feel. What they also found at the hotel is that it didn't actually eliminate the need for workers because the robots were not able to handle everything that a traditional human employee would at the hotel, such as uh, you know, making copies of things like passports, especially if there's a lot of international travelers or, you know, doing different things like that, maybe making recommendations based on, uh, you know, experiences that these robots obviously didn't have, right? If you wanted a fun experience and these robots don't actually eat and have never gone to restaurants, so they can't, you know, be pulling from past experiences, Uh, So there was different issues with that. And just in general, I think that the company didn't realize how uncomfortable people would be with a hotel that was made up of about 90% robots and only 10% humans. So there's been different studies out there. One particular was about U.S. consumers with their comfortableness of robots, but the Brookings Institution found that only 61% of 
U.S. consumers that they're actually uncomfortable. 61% are uncomfortable with robots. That's a large percentage of people that are uncomfortable with robots. So if you're going to have a hotel that is made up primarily of robots, maybe you weren't thinking about, you know, that uncanny valley when it comes to this. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about this line or th- this curve. It's actually, the Uncanny Valley is represented as a curve. If you look online, go to Wikipedia or wherever, and you can actually see it as a line. It's sort of measuring this, uh, how much people enjoy the experience. So basically, it maps to how much people find the, the thing that they're, re- that they're looking at relatable, right? But you can think of it as sort of a customer satisfaction measure that when you start making things more, the, the machines kind of you know, add some of these capabilities, become, they become more and more. Uh, uh, people like that experience. But then once you cross this boundary, it's a very steep dip. And it's interesting because you can see that in the real world. So for example, um, we're all familiar, hopefully with checking into airlines, right? And it wasn't that long ago, maybe several decades ago, two decades ago, when you had to wait in line to basically get your boarding pass. So everything you had to do, walk to the front line, long lines, you hand in your ID or whatever and answer some dumb questions, they'd give you a your boarding pass. But of course, Every airline now has moved to self-service check-in. They have these kiosks where you can just walk up to the kiosk, you know, do put in your confirmation number, whatever. Even when you have to go international, you could scan your passport, gives you a boarding pass, prints out your baggage uh, ticket, and that goes. People are very happy with that. The difference between the human experience and self-check-in is people like the self-check-in experience. They're in control of it. It's a technology system. The humans are still there, but they're there to handle more complicated requests and checking in strollers and th- whatever, things like that, right? But <laughs> if you took that same self-service kiosk and you made it a weird walking around robot, right? So just take the same idea, but you make it like a, like a bot on wheels or with arms be like, hello, would you like to check in? People would be like, no, I'd rather wait in line, right? People would actually rather go back two decades of technology most of the time, not all the time, right? Some people may find it interesting, but it is not enough. That little incremental step of going from a, from a self-service check-in kiosk to a robotic worker has such a detrimental impact that it actually causes the whole project to be a failure. And you can think of many examples where people go like, I'm not going to bother with self-service you know, kiosks, you know, the, like you kind of see at McDonald's now, you know, I want to go full on robots. So I'm going to skip the kiosk and go right to a robotic McDonald's worker, right? That's when you've crossed the line, right? You've crossed that uncanny valley line because no one's going to be talking. People are going to be throwing fries. People are going to be doing bad stuff, right? People are very happy with the kiosk. They would not be happy with the robot. So what's the difference? Like, what's the difference between the robot and the kiosk? Well, the human is in control of the kiosk. The kiosk doesn't look like a person. <laughs> you're not trying to engage in some with some conversation with it. You're not trying to make this bot do more than it's supposed to do. It's a simple application on a touch screen, right? <laughs> with the printer. I mean, that's basically what it is. And it solves 90% of the problem. And it does so in a very controllable, predictable way. We don't need AI technology for that. Ironically, there may be some in there. There may be computer vision scanning your passport. There may be some NLP with some chat stuff, right? but we don't need the rest of that stuff. So we tell people, it's like, if you push that line too far, your project risks failure because you're going into that uncanny valley. And the same thing with data, uh, forget about the humanoid part. If you start collecting and asking for too much data, recording too much data, being a little too invasive with your model, people are going to just stop and they're going to not use it at all. And they're going to say, 
this is not a good example. Maybe we'll, maybe for future podcasts, we could find an example of a, something that's on the data side and Uncanny Valley, the data version of Uncanny Valley of somebody of a firm that's basically went too far with um, their AI data collection and caused the whole problem to, sorry, the whole project to, to fail. But you can, you can imagine that exists. Yeah, that's a great idea. We should definitely do that because we like to bring in real world examples. Uh, it's one thing for us to talk about it and share, you know, these ideas and concepts, but it's another thing to actually show it in action and how, you know, very large organizations uh, of all sizes in all parts of the world have tried to use different, you know, AI technologies and how they have gone about failing or have not been, you know, maybe used or adopted in the way that people actually thought that they would be. So hopefully, you know, We've now presented the Uncanny Valley, which, uh, like I said, I'm not sure if we've done that. And I know we definitely haven't done it in a, in a very long time, if we have in one of our earlier episodes. And then we wanted to give some real world examples. So we'd love to hear your thoughts about the Uncanny Valley, if you've experienced this at all, if you have examples to share. As always, you can email us, info at cognolitica.com. That's I-N-F-O at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A dot com. As we've been saying on many of our podcasts, and it really is true, we love to hear from our listeners. So please reach out if you know with your Uncanny Valley experiences, if you have any additional ideas for upcoming episodes, we do take them into consideration and we try to uh, incorporate them into upcoming podcasts when we can. So please do reach out. And if you're interested in learning more, we will link to all of our other AI failure series, our podcasts there so that you can check that out. And we also have some upcoming webinars as well. We have an, uh, our intro to CPMAI webinars and then our AI failure series webinars as well. So if you're interested in registering for them, you can go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI and it will bring you to the next upcoming one. We're doing them on a rolling basis so that we can have uh, you know, two-way conversations with our podcast listeners, because right now it's a one-way conversation, but we do love to hear from you. So this is your opportunity to uh, also interact with us and be able to ask us questions and get them answered. So if you're interested in registering for them for free, you can go to aitoday.live slash CPMAI. And if you're interested in learning more about CPMAI, you can also go to cognolitica.com slash CPMAI. So that's C-O-G-N-I-L- ytica.com slash CPMAI. Then you can read all about CPMAI and request more information and also uh, sign up to become CPMAI certified as well. So I know that many of our listeners are, and we would love to hear from all of you that are interested in uh, signing up. So please do make sure to reach out. And with that, also, you can subscribe to AI Today so that you could get notified of all of our future episodes coming up. We have some great interviews planned and some additional topics that we will be going over as it relates to AI in the real world and how, uh, you know, applying best practices can help. So uh, please make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you have not done so already. And you can also rate our podcast. We do obviously love when people rate our podcast. And we do read those comments as well. So uh, 
again, if you've done so already, thank you so much. And if not, please make sure to go ahead and do so. And with that, as I had mentioned earlier, I will link all of the additional AI failure series in the show notes so that you can go back and check out any of them in case you haven't heard them yet or re-listen to them. Sometimes we know listeners like to listen to the episodes a few times to really get everything that we said. And with that, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode and thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.